0: Welcome to Forward Obsessed, where we talk to breakthrough business leaders and rising entrepreneurs about their journeys, origin stories, and aha moments. Progress, pitfalls, and pivots. Business is a roller coaster, folks. Strap in is only one direction, and it's forward. Hosted by Pete Senna and David Salinas.
1: So everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to our first episode of Ford Obsessed. I'm your host, Pete Senna, joined by my co-host, David Salinas.
0: Hello, everybody.
1: So everyone, we've got a treat today. We've got our, for our first episode, longtime friend and serial entrepreneur, Topper Luciani, is our guest today. Uh, Topper, welcome to Ford Obsessed.
2: Thank you so much. So happy to be here and really grateful that you thought of me to, uh, to chat with y'all.
1: Listen, man, it's been a journey. And that's exactly why we started this thing, just you know, by popular demand. So for those of you that don't know Ford Obsessed, this is really gonna be an episode today um, about past, present, and future of, of what it means to be an entrepreneur. So Topper, your latest venture is Goodfair, where you're directing, you're essentially disrupting the direct-to-consumer space by really capitalizing on the negative impact that fast fashion has caused our world. You're basically an online thrift short, if, if I'm sort of being quick on it. That's it? Tell us a little bit about what does fast fashion mean and why now disrupt this business? I mean, I want to understand that.
2: Wow. Well, I I have to put it through the lens of the internet as we must. So something that happened as Instagram kind of exploded is a cultural concept of never wearing the same thing twice and posting it all the time. And that has uh, created, and that created this incredible, uh thirst uh for new new cheap clothing that uh brands like zara and h&m uh were were fast to capitalize on and what that means is they would take things from the runway from the street to their store in two weeks So, so from concept to being on the floor of the store in two weeks and that's why they call it fast fashion because uh Uh, Trends have been changing so fast. The problem is making all these cheap clothes have an incredibly detrimental uh, effect on the environment. Uh, We're talking about dyes that pollute rivers. We're talking about carbon uh, and a whole host of other problems. And then we're talking about labor issues uh, where the people who are making these clothes uh, in countries like Bangladesh are paid uh, very very small amounts and they 're held to uh, very difficult condi- held in very difficult conditions and the world is waking up to 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 the uh, effects of the harmful effects of all of that and um, I saw. It. Kind of many years ago, but it has reached this like incredible tipping point of uh, the fast fashion pre-COVID had, had reached this incredibly uh, terrible tipping point of, uh, of having such harmful effects,
0: but we can get into like how that yeah, was well, I, I read a, I read some interesting stats, Topper. It said it, it, 10% of global carbon emissions are created by the fashion industry alone, 20% of wastewater, um, that the environmental impact alone is e- for fashion is equal to the entire uh, aviation and shipping uh, uh, industry combined, which is insane that people are consuming that much fashion uh uh, to create that much of a footprint and yet these are some of the people that are screaming about uh the environment all the time you know like what are we doing to the jungles what are we doing to australia uh you know what are we doing to all of these people and yet they are uh pushing fashion at at a rate and, and and consumption of fashion at a rate that's just unheard of
2: Exactly, and and that's what I was thinking with, when creating Good Fair and, and getting on this used journey, and and I mean it. it also, re- my used journey really ties back to uh, uh, the Sir Drake days that you guys know about. Um, you know, back in two thousand eight. There we go.
1: <laughs> I just yeah. let's let's go there, Topper. Right. So, um, just for for those of the the folks that are t- tuning in now or in the future you know, it seems like all your businesses have really explored this idea of disruption in retail and apparel specifically. Um, I think it's interesting just as a serial entrepreneur, you've, you've had just a really interesting journey. Can you take us back to the Surge Drake days? So for just and maybe tell the group a little bit about what was your thesis and vision for Surge Drake as a, an online e-commerce, you know, really early in the game, right? You know, that was yeah. e-commerce in 08, um, you know, in digital was a was a game you
2: know it was, yeah it was bonobos was coming out uh who were transformative so uh and and it was the era of like actually right before guilt or maybe during the guilt days but basically what happened was i thought that uh i was making polo shirts for men and i i i wanted to be kind of a vineyard vines knockoff but the concept was self-expression through the logo. So every season we would have different logos, uh, like the flying pig, like the chainsaw and the skull, as opposed to uh, um, expressing the brand through the logo, you would be expressing yourself. But um, what happened was uh, the economy collapsed in 2008 and I wasn't able to really survive, but more importantly, I, in reflecting on what I did wrong with that business, I realized that manufacturing was really not for me. It was not for me from a uh, an environmental perspective. It was not for me from an operations perspective and a cash flow perspective. And I also realized that um, there was just enough stuff out there. Like there was, if you looked out in the world, like every single everybody and their mama was making something. So it was like, all right, well. I think that area is already covered. I'll figure out kind of how to sell the stuff that's already made. And that, and that's what led me, uh, initially, since I had kind of become an expert in men's clothing, uh, what brought me to Thais. Um, you know, and that was kind of, so I, as you guys remember, I had that eBay business called Emperor of Thailand. I was the Emperor of Thailand, um,
0: which like
1: Thailand like I remember
0: backpack. I I I, I re, yeah I remember distinctly walking into uh the makeshift shift office that you had um you had bags of ties you had boxes of you were trying to organize ties and 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 create serial numbers for ties you had a tie fixing station uh you had a couple of, of like superstar tie guys that used to like like repair ties and like take the stains out of ties. And that's when I started to learn about this whole entire ecosystem and the markups. I mean, you were buying ties for like a dollar and selling them for $5 on eBay, which is like the markup of, that dreams are made of. What happened there? Yeah, so I realized
2: that it was a really cool business, but I couldn't, I could make a day's pay, but I couldn't really build a big business doing that. Um, and I realized that that wasn't really the opportunity that I wanted to kind of stake my uh, entrepreneurial dreams on. Um, How many ties do you think you sold? Easily 30,000. Uh, like, uh, oh. you know, just based on like the feedback, the eBay feedback. So, so
1: Tom, right, I, wanna, I wanna ask a question here. So you come from a, from a family of entrepreneurs, right? Your, your family was in the, in the travel and hospitality space yeah. Um, how much do you think your family played played a role in you deciding to be an entrepreneur versus going and working for someone else? I just want oh my to goodness! That psychology, a bit.
2: You know, I think about that a lot, and I think about like, uh, yeah, it was it was absolutely. I I modeled my worldview uh, after my dad as an entrepreneur, um, and I I was so blessed um, that they that my parents were able to uh, kind of pay for my education uh, in order for me to kind of gain a perspective uh, and a um, kind of business management and financial management lessons that, uh, they, uh, that they never had the opportunity to learn. But absolutely, like they showed me that it was possible. And from then on, I uh, realized that I was completely unhirable.
1: What was your first, what was your first moment? was 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 it as a kid or like how old were you when you sort of had that moment in your mind where you're like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Take us through one of those stories where it sort of hit you like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur.
2: Wow. So I have this, like, I think of myself like in the driving, riding to school, my dad driving me to school.
1: And you're from Connecticut right top yeah. right now from New Haven you're in the fashion capital of the country right now in Texas right?
2: used clothing yeah the used clothing capital of the country not so much fashion but yeah uh, Houston, I'm here in Houston right now but yeah I grew up in Woodbridge Connecticut outside of New Haven and uh, and I just remember like my dad driving me to school in the back of a suburban and I was thinking like uh you know I would just envision myself in my 30s like snowboarding and like doing like crazy entrepreneurial things, you know, wearing suits. I thought I'd be like wearing suits with a briefcase and then like going and like having a family and stuff like that. I'm a little behind on that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely remember the clear vision. Um, and uh, I didn't know what I would be doing, that's for sure. Um, but I, or, you know, what industry, but I knew that I was going to be an
0: entrepreneur.
1: Interesting.
0: So, so now, let's, go back to, let's go back to eBay for a second. Yeah. So eBay was like, like it, it opened up a gateway for customers, for you to have conversations with customers, for you to do business with customers. Oh my. Really, you're, so talk, walk, walk us through that. And then I remember distinctly, we started when we were talking earlier before the call, uh, that we start to talk about content. Um, that was sort of your yeah. first for, foray into content. Walk us yeah. through sort of the eBay landscape back then, uh, and then how your entrance into content.
2: Well, the most important thing that I got from eBay was that like uh, the customer is always right because eBay is very skewed uh, towards the customer, very customer centric. So like if if you send something that's not up the highest quality, if they send something that is not as described, um, eBay makes you pay for it. So you can't get over on anyone. You can't like it. Uh, you have to deliver happiness uh, as Tony Shea from Zappos would say every single time. And when you're dealing with a very low ticket item, like a $5 tie, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity to mess up because uh, because you're sending so many. So you're dealing with so many personalities. So you really have to find ways to go above and above and beyond to to make sure that customer is happy. And I I learned uh, a lot of lessons around that. But then I also learned um, that eBay was very limited because you can't build a brand like, uh, you know, the whole concept of uh, Emperor of Thailand was hashed out with you, Dave, like just uh, way back in those days uh, as we were talking about it earlier, I remember you telling me about this guy selling wine online named Gary Vaynerchuk. And you'd be Who's like- "He sold the business by the way. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, th- that was the era of like, I remember you saying like Vaynerchuk, like super slow or something like that. Like Vaynerchuk or something. So it was just like, it was all so new to us. Uh, and we just really realized the limitations on eBay in building a brand. Uh, so that uh, was kind of my first foray into um, getting off of eBay and trying to build an e-comm site called Nifty Thrifty. And so the kind of online thrift journey begins. And that was around 2010. So-
1: right. And you, had one, you went out, Topper, right? and, and I remember distinctly... Um, and then feel free to share as much or as little as you feel comfortable on, but For I remember sure you going out and, you know, as a first time founder, going out and raising some very real capital with some, some serious investors. And obviously you don't have to get into the, the specific. No, I, I'm but, happy
2: to tell you that. I mean, you were on the front lines of that too. Oh my goodness. Yo, you're bringing it way the F back. Okay. So
0: <laughs> I remember you calling me. Well, and well it actually, actually let, let me stop us there because I actually want to bring us even further back. The okay. tie, the tie game. If I recall correctly, Topper uh, or TJ. What do you prefer, Topper? Top. So dog. top, you said? Yeah, Topper. Top dog. Topper. So all right. So top. So so if I if, if I recall correctly, the tie thing started with. And I love these sort of origin stories. You went to an estate sale, right? Yeah. <laughs> Is that what it was? Did yeah. you, you went to an estate sale and you bought some and you bought somebody who passed. A, Someone passed away, and you found some, like, like, you found a Gucci in the Gucci store. Brioni, Gucci, Hermes. That shit
2: was on on fleek and fuego. It was unbelievable. And I realized, you know, what people were paying for this stuff.
0: And then from there, so then you started going to estate sales. You started going online. You started going to garage sales looking for these ties. And then you had an aha moment because you found – a low was it local was it it was goodwill right no so it was a textile recycler in
2: new jersey uh shout Shout out to trans americas which uh you know hopefully one day they let me shop there again that's a long story too we go you know yeah you you, uh may the may the bridges we burn light the way Uh, but, (laughs) but um uh yeah, I went into Transamerica's uh, used clothing uh, recycler in, New- in Clifton, New Jersey, and I truly believe to this day, I can say with all honesty that I believe that, like, I had a moment where the voice of God was basically like, you have to put this online, like this place, a textile recycler.
1: So tell me about like, how'd you feel like in that moment? Cause I think the thing with breakthroughs and aha moments. And what's so interesting about them is there's almost a, like a sensation that comes over the body, right? So Ooh. tell us, take us through that. Like, how'd you feel? Where were you? I'm sure you could probably even tell us what you were wearing knowing you.
2: <laughs> no, I was, I was in the facility. My whole body had goosebumps and it was just this deep knowing. Uh, and then uh, and then reflecting upon it uh, later and later and later just made it more so and here I am ten years later still following that feeling which you know that has been that that was my North Star for my career and whether it was actually the voice of God or not or just like something that I convinced myself like to be determined but it is still kind of providing me with some direction in life so
1: no, that's, that's, that's so awesome. You know, Dave talks a lot about, um, energy just in the importance of energy in business. And, you know, I just think that what you're describing right there is there's a certain energy that came over you. Right. And, yes. you know, and it's, and it's been a journey. It's not, it's not one for the faint of heart, as they say, you know, obviously oh. I'm a firm believer that it's, it's not the successes that make entrepreneurs, but it's the struggles and the failures. Right. So Star
2: tissue that I wish you saw.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you. That's why i love having you on this man this is the the, the energy i can feel it through the you know across oh, the country with you sitting in houston thank you so much um, all
0: right so i'll bring us I'll, I'll bring us forward now nifty so so you 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 learn about this uh way to buy used clothing in bulk uh through new jersey yes. um and you can't scale ties so you wind up with nifty thrifty uh, you yes. started to talk about, um, raise, you know, that idea and, and then getting into raising capital. And then ultimately that, that, that concept failed. So take yes. us through that for, for a quick sec. Okay, cool. So
2: basically, let's get it clear that I wasn't the one that raised capital that first time. I knew how to peg myself to a bright person's wagon. And so uh, I basically um, really worked hard to, I went on Angel List and really pitched um, a partnership uh, to help me raise money to create this vision of an online vintage store. So Nifty Thrifty was called Nifty Thrifty, but its focus was more on fashion and its focus was more on vintage clothing. Cause I thought that that's where the opportunity was uh, when it came to cart size, when it came to like a fashion, like editorial perspective. Uh, but ultimately that couldn't scale because uh, you couldn't sell one-offs uh, and the supp- I'm, I, for a lot of reasons, but uh, you couldn't sell one-offs, and, and fundamentally, the used clothing supply chain was really more built for thrift clothing, meaning clothing that's three years old or newer, uh, and, because that's what people is, are throwing away, you know, so because of this fast fashion world. So it's like, all right, buy this at the store, whatever, buy it at Walmart, buy it at Zara, buy it at, ralph lauren whatever three years toss it goodwill and then it's out the and then it's to these then it's in houston
0: to be recycled and exported so that's so imag- so the, so, the, so the thesis changed what else, what what else did you learn what, what were like the top three lessons besides the fact that your thesis from vintage to thrift changed were there yeah. any other major lessons during the during that process
2: yeah so then i i realized that uh you can't, uh, you can't sell one offs of something so
1: like Just, So selling, the TJ Maxx model would not work online.
2: Well, you could do it, uh, but I would do the I would do it as a mystery. So what you do or or a surprise and you try to kind of tighten the category and narrow it uh, but you but not do the exact because what happens is Uh, scrolling through millions of items is preventative. Uh, You know, people can't make that decision. Like no one has time to do that. They just want to be fed. And so, and that actually was another entrepreneurial lesson that I learned listening to a podcast, Raise Up, uh, from this guy named the dude Garrett Camp um, from Uber, uh, you know, just basically was talking about how if you can make a business that is just press a button and give someone, someone something like that's, that's how you build a business was like Uber is just press a button and get a car. And, and, um, he built a couple other businesses like that. Um, so that's what I was really inspired by. And, uh, so, and, and there were some other lessons around. So what I really was conscious of, then I had another failed business where I, I learned, uh, I had this business called tag pop, um, And that business failed because, uh, I wasn't in the right place operationally. Uh, I wasn't, um, the branding was wrong. Uh, there are lots of branding rules that like, I was not aware of. And the ones that I was aware of, I was consciously not following thinking that I was like, uh, Johnny big swinging Dick that didn't need to follow fucking branding rules, like trying to be this innovator, like, uh, like, Bad brand doing bad branding because everyone else is doing good branding does not make me Steve Jobs. And that like uh,
1: sometimes so what, does brand, what does branding mean to you? I mean, I want to understand like branding is such a powerful word, and obviously we get paid way too much money to do it. But tell me, like, yeah. what does branding mean to you as a the founder of a multimillion dollar DTC startup?
2: Yeah, so uh, I really realized that there there is some branding. That you need to appeal to investors. There's some types of branding that you need to appeal to, to consumers, uh, and um, branding is a is this is almost a conversation, and it's a conversation of like, uh, of people uh, kind of identifying with something that, that they've already kind of seen before. Uh, I mean, there's so many messages, but basically, like, how I got the branding concept around Goodfair uh, was I realized that, like, there were a lot of millennial brands out there that sounded the same, that used the same colors, that all were kind of designed by the same agencies, Uh, so I thought to myself, well, you've got your Everlanes and your Sweet Greens, uh, and all these these companies are coming out and they're sounding very sweet and uh, they have the same type of color palettes i need to kind of follow those rules to some extent and then kind of uh put my own spin on them to communicate the things that i want to communicate and so or actually i'm going to go off on this a little bit so
1: i realized
2: that that uh over the past 10 years uh Every single, we've, we've experienced the Warby Parkerization of every single product. We've, uh, so it's like pots and pans and, uh, and apparel and um, go, go down the list, name it and it has been uh, created into a uh, mattresses. It's been created into a direct to consumer brand with the same branding essentially. And I realized that. uh, Good washing. Yeah. And I realized that. Wow. uh, I think that like um, consumers are waking up to this like shtick. They're all. They all have the same investors. They have the same people behind it. It's like, all right, let's do razors now. All right, slap that branding on there. This makeup. All right, slap that branding on there. Let's go. It's the Warby Parkerization of makeup. It's the Warby Parkerization. It's like. okay um well now we have so all and they're all competing for the same uh customers in new york and san francisco and what do you mean by warby
1: parker um position i mean i just i mean i i yeah. think i know what you mean because i yeah. had the pleasure of spending time with you but tell, tell the audience what, what do you mean by that so i
2: think that there are certain fonts and certain colors and a certain brand narrative uh that has been tweaked uh, but fundamentally, uh, has been there's been a certain playbook that has been used for uh, every single product
0: under the sun.
1: Why do you think uh, that playbook is works it a playbook? So
0: well? Is it yeah? I, well, I was going to say is it, is it do we think it's a playbook or do we think that people is it is it the same agency, the same VCs, or is it a company going to an agency and saying I want what they have? Right, Because quite often, uh, and Pete, you can attest to this, we, we get calls and it's like, I'm looking to do a DTC brand like Casper. I want to be like Casper. Little do they know that Casper's you know, media spend to do the acquisition that they were doing for the amount of time they were doing was, was what, Pete, how much a month?
1: Well, I know they spent over a half a billion dollars on customer <laughs> acquisition. Yeah. Marketing, marketing, uh, marketing. yeah. Uh, so, so like, how
0: do you how do you get that you know we want this growth and how do we get this growth and all of a sudden you find out that they're actually spending half a billion dollars and now they're struggling because everybody else in their mother that can make a mattress in china is figuring out how to stuff it in a box <laughs>
2: exactly Sweet. yo that brings up the wayfair conspiracy don't even bring up china
0: and the box <laughs> don't do it don't don't go
1: don't We're go there so so, so, so why? So I, I love where you were going with that. And forgive us if you broke your flow. Just no,
2: you'll never happening. break. My, ain't nobody gonna break my
1: stride. <laughs> why? Why Goodfair as a name? What does Goodfair mean? Tell us if you know. What's the vision of the business? And why'd you call it Goodfair? And make some of the sensibilities and branding decisions that you did. Because I just want to make sure we don't lose that here. Yeah.
2: So, well. Okay, so I gave that context of what I was calling the Borby Parkerization of everything, but I also decided that like, there is this, um, and everything, all of that stuff was this concept of like, what I like to call millennial minimalism with like very minimal fonts, very minimal web design, which I am I think is gorgeous, but everything kind of blended into itself uh, over the past like 10 years. So I realized that we were, with this like woke generation of Gen Z, uh, they were, there was like this new spirituality coming out about, a new, this new awakening that was happening. And it reminded me very much of uh, what went on in the 60s um, with like uh, Ram Das and like getting back to the garden as uh, you know, it's like, uh, we are stardust, we are donut. And we got to get ourselves back to the garden.
1: So, I wish I wish our clients would come in and basically hit us with that kind of a brief, like, let's get back to the garden. We got you. Like, I love it. I'm feeling the vibe. How about you, Dave?
2: Exactly. So that was that was what I was really inspired by. Like, I felt like a new hippie revolution was coming. But also, whether that was coming or not, I think that there's certain elements of hippiness that are timeless. And there are certain brands that I really looked to that I wanted to emulate. Certain ones like uh, the Grateful Dead, uh, Dr. Bronner's, uh, Ben and Jerry's. Those brands to me, uh, like uh, were, you know, not shy with colors, not shy with soul, not shy with that human touch. And that was really important for me. And then, as far as Goodfair, I wanted it to sound like Everlane and Sweetgreen. So I just put a bunch of one syllable, like, foofy words together and whatever domain name I could afford. I mean, you guys know I started this with not very much capital, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) I could buy that goodfair.com.
1: Topper, I love how modest you are. Let's get tactical for just for the audience listening to this now in the future. I mean, you took this from zero to a multi million dollar. Direct-to-consumer startup. You're, you're you're right now. You're powered by Shopify, which is taking over the world of e-commerce. The right? Most
2: lit. If you're not on Shopify, you are smoking
0: on that la la lulu.
1: But what I love about by that, the way, listen. this
2: show
0: is not sponsored by Shopify.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, Magento. Done,
1: no, but listen, I, I, I want to <laughs> get me <laughs> Beep, beep, beep.
0: They gotta pay for
1: that. No, I want to get <laughs> I want to get tactical and practical here because yeah. listen, we've you know I've worked with. All the major e-commerce brands everything from magento pre-adobe and now of course they're owned by adobe you know demand were be got got scooped up by salesforce and then shopify just come wait out remember
2: like, you built the uh good i mean the surgery website on os commerce what you know about
1: that <laughs> yes amen it was os commerce with a flash front end and a php backend so yeah no i remember listen you know the dilly we, we, we can get listen we can get granular I'll break out some code for y'all but but it, but in all seriousness I think you know shopify's taking over the world right because they, they've made they've made someone be able to spin up a site whether they're selling you know trendy water bottles like I've got here in front of me or consignment sort of secondhand and thirdhand clothing on on good mm-hmm. how do you go from like starting your first shopify site to you know, doing millions of dollars. Now, what's it like now? I can really imagine what it's like. Well, actually, I can't imagine because I do it every day. But looking <laughs> at the stack that you've got. So you're rocking Shopify on the e-com platform. You've got Klaviyo on the email marketing flows, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Klaviyo is so important. It's a little bit complex to like start, like get, it. it's a lot to like, put together because you want to have the flows going like, you know, the card abandonment and then the browse abandonment all kinds of different, uh, uh, different kind of emails that, that are really uh, important. And, but once you kind of get those up and running, like Clavia Kl- will just make you money and, and it's, uh, I can't, I can't um, recommend them enough.
1: We love that tool. And, and, and talk to us a bit more about like, so from a stack perspective, obviously, it sounds like the, those are the main tools. What are some of the other like awesome tools that you've got in your arsenal for someone that's looking to just really turn it up when it comes to, to e-commerce the way that you have?
2: Yeah. So if you're fulfilling for yourself, I recommend ShipStation. Uh, we use that. It's a it's a great uh, shipping uh, software. And then get Wrapping your brain around your your numbers uh, is really important. So like, oh, wait, but before I even get into that, I'm reminded, I also need to plug um, An app called CartHook.
0: cart hook now. Good,
2: right. Yo, that talk about a game changer. I mean, I like what they do is they take the Shopify um, cart, which is like a two or three page checkout. And they just consolidate it to a one-page checkout with like little modules that you can you can edit and that four-hour conversion has been monumental and, and uh you know pays for itself the first day i wouldn't go one day without without card hook
1: awesome
2: um and then we also use this um customer service uh app called customer that ties together like your email and your social media and um not instagram though not instagram dm which is a pain in the butt but like it brings it all into one place so you can kind of scale your your uh, customer service requests um let's see what else do we use uh we use um this thing called order metrics and um that is a great tool to kind of help you wrap your brain around like your daily metrics uh so you got it, like
1: Let's talk about metrics for a second. You know, the, the 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 great Peter Drucker talks about you know what gets what gets measured gets uh, gets improved, right? You can't yes. you can't improve what you don't measure. So as a as a startup founder and a CEO, when you're looking at metrics, for for those that are either successful, you know, folks like yourselves, or someone that's just getting started, what are some of the metrics you think that matter for direct to consumer today? I mean, I want to hear it from you. We've obviously got our opinions, but I want to hear it straight from from the the nest.
2: Yeah, well, it definitely depends on what product you're using, but you know, things to be mindful of, or, you know, your CAC, which is your cost of buying a customer, your LT motherfucking V. Um, hold on, excuse me. Um, so customer uh,
1: acquisition costs, lifetime value. Just yeah, exactly. And then, don't don't, don't <laughs> pick up on the swag that we that you do. <laughs> and then,
2: so you, you want to talk about your cart size, you want to talk about uh, like, um, your margin per order, like what it t- the cost of pick, pack, and ship an order. Um, there are all kinds of different economics that like uh, have been important to different direct-to-consumer brands as they've scaled and the- as they've raised money. For us, uh, you know, we're on the path to cash flow positive and... And, uh, you know, we've, we've been hashtag blessed enough to raise some capital, but we don't want to be dependent on, on raising capital to grow because it's a whole new world out there. Um, You know, the post we work post COVID world um, is not just about, you know, kind of a post Casper world. You know, it's just not about lighting investor money on fire to grow. I'm really inspired by um, lots of different uh, uh, direct to consumer brands that have grown without raising any or very little money. And we try to, uh, we try to f- kind of create a culture of frugality here.
0: Uh, why, uh, why did that happen though? Top, Topper tell, so so. dig into that, because that's something that you and I, I, I remember distinctly, we had our, our walking, walking by, the, around, river. Yo, our, walking by the river Yeah, I walking by the river. Yeah. Sipping on, sipping on a beer, and I was so excited by uh-huh. uh, the, amount of pi- the amount of pivots that you've made and the amount of, 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 of mistakes that you've made and so on and so forth. But then finally, I, I sensed this sort of wizardry that you've been through. That You've just been sort of hunting and hunting and making mistakes and figuring things out and learning and picking yeah. up different pieces of the business and partnering with people. So it's not that you started Goodfair with a little bit of money. You actually started Goodfair with a lot of experience, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That was paid for by other people in some cases or partners yeah. or what have failure you. And mistakes, lots of failures, right? And now all of a sudden we're walking around and I'm like, dude, let me give you $10,000. Let me give you some <laughs> amount of money, whatever. Like I'll figure it out. Like I'll, if you need 50 grand, I'll give five people to put in 10. Like, well, let's figure this out. And you're like, and you, I'll never forget. You said to me, and and i've never had anybody say this to me before um actually i I have one other person that reminds me of you that's like a pivot master and and he you said to me like i don't want to take anybody's money you're like i'm going to wait until the very last minute to take people's money um to take money at all if i have to and you're like i want to figure this out and at the time i don't think that you you definitely weren't living the high life. So I don't, I, I don't even, you might've been homeless. I'm not a hundred percent sure, <laughs> but like you were just like, I think you were couch hopping a little bit. You were hanging out yeah. with friends. You were doing what you had to do. You were building the business. Like what made you, what put you in that mindset? What made you decide that you were not going to do it that way anymore?
2: Yeah. Well, um, I mean, just the pain of failing, uh, like, Oh my God. Uh, just, puts like, to use Pete's expression, not for the faint of heart, like um, just putting myself in in those days of thinking about like those failures and like I, almost suicidal. And I would say I was suicidal. And like, I was just like, I have no point of living. Uh, I'm an absolute failure. And I've, you know, made people lose all this money and I'm broke, a fucking loser. And like, I just uh it 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 got me started on a spiritual path, that's for sure. Um,
1: I wanna dig into that too, and I appreciate you going there because I think topper what I'm hearing you say and I think you're you're an inspiration to certainly to me and Dave and, and certainly I think to many others to be able to be able to inspire, it takes a toll on your mental health, right? It takes a toll on your self esteem. So I don't oh, want to take you back to that place. I know you're in such a great place now, but- No, well, people, let's
2: go there, baby. I,
1: I can, think I can... a lot of people can get inspired by that. So, so talk us through, like, what did it feel like when you failed and you lost other people's money? And, and you know, what did you do about it? Because I think that you yeah. just continue to inspire me to see every time I talk to you, you're a you're hundred steps ahead of where you were the last time. You know, resilience is, thank you. you know, an understatement to describe who you are as a human. So take us through those dark days and, you know, how'd you get past it?
2: Thank you so much. Well, yeah, I, I, uh, I got on a spiritual tip. Well, two things, two things real, like I've been on a spiritual path for a while, like, uh, um, teachers like Ram Das, uh, this book called thinking, grow rich, which you guys know about obviously. And then, um, uh, this, uh, this other like crazy lady who channels spirits called Abraham Hicks. I'm really into that one too, but we'll get into that. But, Basically, I, I got into that stuff like when I was feeling really low. Um, and then I also, a book right around the era that we're talking around, about around 2017, this book came out by Ray Dalio, who you guys know is like my absolute favorite called Principles.
1: Oh my God, it's such a good book, isn't it?
2: Holy a doodle dandy. That book, just listening to it and reading it Changed my perspective of life to the extent that it was like eating an insane amount of mushrooms. It had more like I've I've experimented a tiny bit with psychedelics, and this book um, uh, was more I was more brain-opening, mind-opening than a psychedelic experience. And so, um, which is so incredible that this dry-ass business book was providing a psychedelic experience for me
1: um what were some what were some of the the, the takeaways that you had i mean obviously you know if you you have if you haven't read the book principles i highly suggest that i think every entrepreneur should have a set of principles what are some principles that emerged for you in in having that spiritual experience i want i want you to take the group through that yeah
2: so the biggest takeaway for me there are two giant takeaways two monstrous takeaways that that have changed the trajectory of my life Two concepts. Uh, one is this concept of uh, believability-weighted uh, decision making, and I'll, I'll explain that first uh, in a minute. But I just want to explain both concepts um, that that really changed my life. Um, and then uh, the concepts of kind of reflecting upon uh, failure and changing, uh, and changing like certain things from that failure. So I'll explain both. So believability-based decision. It was so incredible for me to get the perspective of the world of this person who like kind of sees the matrix. Um, and so I think I had to be in almost a broken place to have my heart and mind open to, uh, to the lessons in his book. Because a lot of what is taught in that book is like very you know would require a lot of change in a person uh, in order to kind of if the, everyone thinks that they know how to like they should be perceiving the world but like if you can perceive it a little bit like you know Uncle Ray Ray as I call him um, <laughs> you know you're you're that much better and I, I attribute the little success that I've had so far a uh, uh, a lot of a lot of that uh, has Uh, been because of those lessons in that book. Um, And then so believability weighted decision-making is this concept of making a decision, uh, getting lots of opinions about that decision and weighing the opinions of the people who have accomplished what you're trying to accomplish more than the other opinions that you're getting, but making the decision for yourself and but just taking all of the perspectives in order to uh kind of navigate your own blind spots and that to me and not tying uh your ego or your identity to uh outcomes so like um you know yeah you made a decision um but that's not you as a person uh you can change that and edit yourself and edit the decisions you're making and that sort of thing and and get a positive outcome as long as you keep trying.
1: I love oh. that. I
0: love right, that. it's so freaking lit. There it is. Let, oh. clip that clip that clip that bitch and turn it into a viral meme. But I think, that was a good one. That was that was amazing. I want to I want to I you go ahead, Pete.
1: No, sorry Davey, it's it's challenging not being in the same room. I apologize there. top the of one thing that you said that, that really struck me is Talking about believability, and I think you know one of the things that often times a lot of entrepreneurs will will be labeled is you know egotistical or overconfident or that sort of thing. You know what I think is particularly interesting is just this idea of, as entrepreneurs, we struggle with this idea of you know am I a fraud or am I a genius? And in some cases, I think that 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 pendulum is often swinging in different ways. I want to talk about believability because I remember early on when I when I saw you, um, it was during the rise and fall of Nifty Thrifty, you know, one of your previous businesses. And I remember everyone was sort of not believing in you, but you have this almost hubris. And it was the, the confidence that I think when you were in that mindset, you were able to just achieve. So can you talk a little bit about just how you've manifested some of these destinies in your own place? It sounds like spirituality, energy, and good teachers have helped, but Take us through that. And then I, I think Dave had some some pretty big questions. And I do apologize, Dave, for jumping in on you. Oh, yes. good, man.
2: So, I mean, I do a daily mantra every day. Uh, I didn't then. But think the book Think and Grow Rich has you write down, like, a certain amount of money you're, you want, the time you want to accomplish it how you're going to achieve it and it gives you like a cliffs notes to fill in your swagoo of this thing it's like and the language is so like 1920s but like just do it anyways you know so what i t- so i i like filled in my you know desires and i uh because oh that was also the you know I was so desperate I had to freaking do it you know like if I had a nor if I had a roof over my head and was like quasi normal I'd be like this is fucking bullshit but I was like, you know, I'm gonna eat mo- I'm gonna eat motherfucking humble I'm tired of eating crow and humble pie both are my you know my favorite two meals um, so I was like I'm gonna try anything and everything so. Um, I uh, wrote, I, I followed this, this mantra from Think and Grow Rich, and now I have it you know, framed in my bathroom. I say it in the shower, I say it when I go to bed, I say it anytime I'm waiting in line somewhere. Uh, and I think that that, in the book, it tells you, you know, it supercharges your subconscious mind to put yourself in the right situations. I mean, I think that that, that daily mantra thing definitely caused me to move to Houston. It's definitely like how or why I've been able to meet some of the world's like greatest investors. I'm just like have become this magnet uh, for this success or something like that. Um, and I want it, I certainly wanted to continue. So I'm
0: not slowing down with that mantra.
2: I'll tell you that for free.
0: So, so I want to, I want to touch on something for a second it, around believability, but also authenticity. One thing that, has always been personally if you go back to that conversation in your parking lot where i was telling you about this crazy guy that sold wine and did social media and i was like he's just crazy authentic and i was like you need to get on video because you're hilarious and you're authentic and you have this character character about you and i think that's when you took your shirt off and did like the emperor of ties i remember the you sitting on the ground like that but you know how do do people find you believable when you are a character all the time when you do Mm. say funny things when you use vocabulary like swagoo and things like that or do you find or do you find that to be create uniqueness for you or do you find that you have to work harder
2: oh wow you know it's interesting I, i don't even think about it through that lens uh basically i look at it like um I spend almost, as you could probably tell, and actually um, a lovely lady that I'm dating right now uh, is making me more conscious of this. I spend maybe too little time in thinking about how I'm being perceived. All I, um, uh, and so I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but basically all I know is I'm trying to create believability in or by accomplishing certain things, and in a, in having a comp, in accomplishing those things, hopefully, um, I will become a source of trustability or believability uh, for the people seeking uh, my certain um,
0: uh, the info that I could potentially share. It, it was just something I, I had a question about. I appreciate your answer there, and and it's true. Oh, Don't no. do it. Don't, you know, like you you pay attention, but don't change who you are. I think ultimately that's something that's been so endearing about you. Um, you. Something I love because it's through, if people really pay attention, if people give you the time of day, if they're intelligent enough, they see through and they see what you were and see what you are. And the reason why we were having that beer and you were telling me about this journey you were taking and I was telling you, Hey, I want to invest in that. I want to figure out a way to be a part of that is because, it's not craziness. It, it, it Maybe it is craziness, but craziness in a beautiful way. It's pure, it is genius. And it was clear to me that Good Fair was going to be something uh, hot. Wow. I remember you were Thank just you. like, I got a name for it. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know exactly how it's going to come together, but it's going to be called Good Fair. And I remember we were talking about like talking to like uh, regional, uh, like um, uh, Salvation Armies and stuff like that. Was, you remember those yeah. conversations? Of course. Of course. Yeah, like so It's it amazing. It's, it's, ama- it's amazing. It's amazing how you've come around to that. So like, let's talk about that. Like you literally had, you know, four or five businesses, you've probably had about, you know, 15 or 20 different pivots within those businesses alone. Right. Like, how do you know when that, what, how do you know when the time is right to make the jump? How do you know when the time is uh, like, Hey, I I got to, I got to switch course and how, and, and, and how do you make sure that uh, you're being fearless about it uh, and committing to the, to the, to the course change?
2: Oh my goodness. Um, I think that just trying to help me understand that question a little better.
0: So, so for example, we were outside, we we're talking about talk, you, you were talking to a guy who ran uh, regionally was it Goodwills or something like that. Yeah, 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 And that was where you were going down. And now you've you've ultimately landed uh, with a different recycler. Is that correct? Many
2: different recyclers. Oh, yeah. So basically, that's so interesting. Yeah, because before I moved when, to, when did you give up on that? Yeah. Uh, basically, when I just knocked on the doors and tried, tried to make it happen with them, my vision, and it just wasn't working. So I was like, okay, I'll just try something else. So then I moved to Miami. I don't know if you remember that part. So I moved to freaking Miami with no motherfucking money again and tried to get in bed with this other recycler. So we're, pimmets, pimmets, pimmets. yeah, pimmets. oh my goodness. So, oh, so many crazy stories. Yeah, I think that uh, just having an open heart and an open mind, I, I look at myself as, you know, the flute of God, just play me, baby. And just like, uh, <laughs> if I can,
0: it So is it feel? Is it a feel thing like how would you, yeah definitely. how would you describe to so so we're, we're we're making this show let me just tell you a little bit about it because you're the first episode of the show right so we're making this show not just for entrepreneurs and startups but we're also making it for for big thinking business leaders people that have to go against the grain people that have to know when to throw the cards in people that need to know when to take risks um because it's something that they don't do it's the reason why you're hearing about all these major companies go under right now because they don't have leaders like you they don't have big thinkers and they don't have people that lead with feel, they, they have just people that lead with corporate manuals and MBAs, and MBAs, right? Yeah. What, is, it, it's a feel thing for you. So what, what is it instinctively, like, is it, is it a gut? Is it like no. a mental, like, no, fortitude? Is it giving up? No, yeah, it's
2: two things. It's one is you have to burn all ships of retreat. So like, there's no motherfucking turning back
0: ever. Wow!
2: So wow. that's one Good thing. Quote. Now I don't, I don't know if like some like smart people would do that, but that's just been my whole thing. And then, uh, so it's burning all ships of retreat. And then, like, when I, when I reach a absolute brick wall, like the app makes no sense for me. Like, what happened in Miami was the partner wanted fifty percent of the business and. Like that would have been fine if I wasn't paying them for inventory, but they wanted me to pay them for the inventory and to own 50% of the business. So that to me, like, yeah, I could have made it work but it didn't tickle my pickle. So I was like, all right, I'll go uh, to Houston. And then I partnered with this incredible recycler here in Houston. But then um, once they like caught a whiff of venture capital, they tried to get a giant chunk of equity too. Um, and that's a funny story that I'll tell you off the record. Um, but basically, (laughs) um, I can't wait. Yeah. So then I was like, Oh man, I have to go into my own warehouse now. Um, and that was before I had any money, but I just had to do it. I had to try. And so, um, I've just like all these situations of just being comfortable getting kicked in the, in the gut. Um, And then oh another huge thing that i've kind of learned is this kind of lesson of soothing myself because if i'm in an absolutely horrible place mentally emotionally like the world is crumbling um i'm gonna soothe myself because a lot of it is in my mind so like a lot of it is how you perceive stuff that's happening not so much what's happening so like if like everything around me is chaotic and it's, it's affecting my mental uh, and emotional health Homeboy's going to go fuck around and take a nap. And like, uh, I'm just going to, you know, like I've got to, because if I don't have, if I'm not doing, if I'm not taking my actions from a place of clarity and joy, uh, then I know for a medical fact that I'm making the wrong decisions. So I just, you know, just one little kind of pro tip that I do that, you know, Zuckerberg, I don't know if he's doing that type of thing, but like, that's what I have to do at my, at my stage. I
1: think, I think just Well, the, he's
0: going surfing with an unusual amount of uh, SPF. I saw that.
1: Unbelievable. So, right. I, know, <laughs> I know you've got, you, you, you've got an amazing business that, that you're running right now. You're literally, you know, just a few thousand square feet away from, from your warehouse right now. I love, I love the fact that you're in it. I'm in it. Yeah. You know, Elon Musk talks a lot about that sort of living on the shop floor as you need to, as they say, we've only got you for a few more minutes before you run off. um so be, I want to make sure just to say, thank you again. Um, Yo, thank you. Sure. I
2: love kind of indulging in myself. My own story It's kind no, of this ridiculous. Is, this is
1: killer, man. It's your congrats on all your success and, and, and congrats on sharing your failures. I think that that's something that's going to be different about this show than every other podcast is that, we're going to get into to the grit and the hustle and the good and the bad. You know, with Thank that, so much, David dude. David said how you are a big thinker. And I want to make sure we get tactical and practical for a second. You are acquiring some of your greatest customers off of TikTok right now. Yeah, right? Yeah. You, you have literally taken the idea of what is best practice. You've broken the book and, and hence you're killing it from a P&L perspective right now. So congrats. How do you acquire customers on TikTok and like, You know, talk to us about how we can take advantage of that before, you know, it gets canceled by uh, the American (laughs) government.
2: Yeah, well, uh, I think TikTok is the last bastion of social media that has actual a little bit of viral reach. So the best way I would approach it and the way Goodfair approached it to begin with, I'll give you guys my absolute playbook, was we said, hey, guys, here's this amazing new platform, the whole world is saying they're too old for it, they don't know how to use it. But there's also this enormous, enormous population that's on it. So do we feel like we don't know how to use it? Absolutely. So let's really take the spaghetti uh, principles and throw spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. There are no, we, I literally said to my team, there's no rules. Everyone on the team has to spend 15 minutes a day on TikTok so we all can know what the F it is. And then we just have to start creating content. If you're gonna you know sing a song, if you're gonna you know brush your teeth, whatever you are doing, there's nothing off limits. But oftentimes with a the brand, they're so paralyzed with you know creating brand friendly content, uh, especially because we've kind of been brainwashed by Instagram uh, to, to have such this polished image. But what we learned about TikTok is that it's a lot more of accessibility it's a lot more of like showing behind the scenes of your life and not so much this elevated life and um is that a good,
1: brand, that a good fair branded page or are you are you sort of tapping influencers i want to understand the, just the mechanics of that uh, get a lot of questions from the audience on tiktok for user acquisition so take us through that
2: oh yeah so i would um depending on the product uh We have a multi-pronged approach. We do it all on TikTok. I don't want to get too into our secret sauce, but like we've got influencers. We're making our own content. We got people making content for us and a host of other things. What about ads? We even fuck around with pain. (laughs) We do it. We do it. I said it. Um, (laughs) Uh, Because... You know, whether it's probably, so they're tracking, we have not, we have not seen as successful uh, on our paid marketing with TikTok, but I think that's more of a function of our ability to track uh, the, the actual acquisitions than uh, its effect, its actual effectiveness. And I think, you know, it's just a young company that's still kind of tightening its pixels.
1: So you're saying sometimes the attribution lies. So sometimes that you're getting it lies. Article. It's full of malarkey. Yeah, exactly. So tell me, t- tell me a little bit about that, just in, in closing, because we're just we're just about running out of time, which is great. Is so you're you've got influencers there. What types of things are they doing in in the in on TikTok to sort of get that for you page and that sort of thing?
2: Um, wait, say that again. <laughs>
1: just what types of ways are you using TikTok to sort of drive people back to make that good fair purchase?
2: Yeah, well, you, you just want to people to be talking about your brand. You want people to be in any and every way possible. I can't stress that enough. So it's unboxing videos, it's uh, inserting yourself into social conversations, it's commenting on certain videos as the brand. Literally any and every which way you want to kind of spread yourself uh, because TikTok will elevate you if they see that you're kind of using it. Um, It's just how the system works right now where, you know,
0: Instagram, it feels a little bit more pay to play.
1: How
0: how are you dealing with your influencers? Are you using any influencer management platforms? Is it all hand-to-hand content uh, uh, combat or uh, like what, how... And and what have you learned about the influencer space so far?
2: So it's very interesting that you said that. So our our, uh, influencer marketing manager, our influencer manager just hit me up today uh, wanting to use this software called, we're just doing it on freaking spreadsheets right now, you know, killed now. But they just hit me up with this uh, software called Grin, which is looking really good. We're probably going to sign a contract with them, but they want like 40 grand a year. But it's worth it if we don't have to hire more people and the tracking is great. But, you know, Jesus Christ, my uh, wrists are getting sore from writing all these checks.
0: Now, what have you learned about the influencers? Like, So just as an example, I ran an influencer campaign for a brand, really just gave them some strategy. I saw someone with, you know, 60,000 followers on Instagram, uh, and, and 1.5 million, uh, follower, uh, subscribers on YouTube, put out a video and just crush with orders like literally crush, but they were mostly low cost orders, but they did volume, like high, high volume, like 10 X to everybody else that had much more followers on Instagram, much more, uh, uh, subscribers on, on platforms, but just clearly didn't have those people didn't have the same influence. Um, like, how are you judging that? How are you making those decisions or is, it, or is it essentially just a feel thing? I'm really, my believability
2: with this question is very low. Uh, I would say, I would kind of direct you to our, uh, our manager, um, Rebecca, who's very lit. She's from, uh, we hired her from Fashion Nova. And uh, like, the, you know, I, I, I can't tip my hat enough to a brand that has kind of cracked the code on influencer marketing enough. Uh, and so, um, right now we're still in kind of spaghetti mode We're we're throwing shit against the wall. We're throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. And, and also like, um, we're not pigeonholing ourselves to fashion influencers. We want grandmas. We want, uh, kids. We want, uh, a lot we want to catch a cast of very wide net uh with our influencers because of what a wide
0: net uh online thrift is so it's really just an R and D play because the, the landscape is changing i remember where you used to put all your budget into facebook facebook probably a dead zone for you now right i'd imagine I mean, instagram <laughs> yeah fa- facebook
2: i mean they're okay we still we certainly you know I, i'm definitely you know lining zuck's pockets for sure i mean you know you know, I'm, I'm sure, but like, uh, but it, it's not half as effective as, as uh, these other channels. But the key is getting people to come back. And I can go on a whole soliloquy on my thoughts around that, but I think we're running out of time and I don't want to. Share yeah, no, much. for
1: sure. I, I think, you know, one thing I'd love to do is um, just get you to, to commit on air to coming back. Uh, I think we're going to need to. To do a couple of breakout episodes with you for sure. So
2: oh I would you, love that. You you have, you've, yeah. set the
1: bar, you've set the bar high already for, for everyone that comes next. So so Topper, thanks so much for, for joining us on our first kickoff episode of Forward Obsessed. Um, Topper, how do we, we stay in touch with you? Where's a good place for the audience to follow you and, and check you out just ongoing?
2: Topper JL uh, on TikTok and Topper JL on uh, on the gram. Awesome. Of course Twitter
1: too. And speaking of good domain names, obviously GoodFair.com definitely for for folks to be able to to check out all the great work that you're doing out there. Certainly a, a, a great way to not just support an awesome founder, but just really a great cause. I think just disrupting that fast fashion world um, is going to be amazing. So
0: I like what the guy from Hot Wings does. Topper, look at that camera, that camera, that camera. Give us the pitch. Thirty seconds.
2: Okay, fantastic. So. Goodfair.com is an uh, online thrift store. We sell everything as a surprise by category. So when you come to the site, you get a flannel shirt. You don't know the exact flannel shirt that you're going to get, but you know it's going to be secondhand and it's going to be good for the environment and it's going to be a lower price than you would have paid at uh, Walmart or at Ralph Lauren. And so uh, we've got a vision for this that is well beyond apparel. Uh, to sell household goods, toys, kids clothes, sporting goods all in this way, uh, and that will allow us to scale much larger than uh, current online thrift store like Threadup because we, we don 't have to list millions of items and invest in the uh, in the cataloging of all these pieces. Uh, we can just kind of scale ad infinum. Um, and uh, we're really excited we're growing really fast. we're attracting some incredible talent because of our sustainability message and uh, we've got some great margins too so
0: Top, check right. us out. I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you not just for your time and sharing your story, but more importantly for doing something good for the world and for the earth. I don't think a lot of people really truly understand the impact that the fashion industry plays on the environment. Uh, I don't think that the people really understand the, the impact that, that clothing is playing on people's psyche. Um, you know, you're really trying to change that. You're trying to flip that on its head. You're relentless with your passion to figure this out. And I respect the hell out of you. I always have. I love talking to you and I really
1: thank appreciate Thank you so much. Time.
0: Likewise, feeling so mutual. I have so much fun with you guys.
2: Can't awesome. thank you enough.
1: Thanks so much, Robert.
2: All right. Have a great one.